If you are building software apps, at some point you will likely need to build an image hosting service. Let's be honest, probably more than once. Image hosting is a core feature of many apps, and it's important to get right. We all know the best practices for building image hosting in the cloud. Start with Amazon S3 for the uploads, then serve them up with a CDN like CloudFront. Easy, right? Well, as usual, the devil's in the details. In this episode of MobyCast, John and Chris kick off a two-part series detailing how to build a massively scalable image hosting service. We share hard-won tips and tricks so you can avoid common pitfalls when building your own solution. Welcome to MobyCast, a show about the techniques and technologies used by the best cloud-native software teams. Each week, your hosts John Christensen and Chris Hickman pick a software concept and dive deep to figure it out. Welcome, Chris. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey, John. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's been so long that I wasn't even sure how to say that. This has been the longest week ever. Yeah, we're going to be... I think I might be a little rusty, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, not only have I not done a MobyCast, but I haven't even really been talking to people for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Me talk pretty one day. <laughs> right. You know, and it's it, it's like we're doing a MobyCast at, at a time when probably it's not what the world needs. But um, the world did ask for it, so we thought, eh, we can do it. When I say the world, I mean, I think one person on Reddit said, hey, will you do another MobyCast? <laughs> so here we are. Sure, there you go. It, yeah. it came from the world, how's that? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I know that's so exciting, like when, when people, you know, we've, we've taken a hiatus since the lockdown, and um, we've, during that time, there's been a couple indications that people have noticed, just a couple of... Um, really nice reviews on iTunes that felt so nice, so good. And then just that request on Reddit for a new show, it was like, oh, yeah, there are a few people out there that enjoy listening to us talk about software. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And now that, I mean, we even got like a video message from one of our listeners. Um, so that was pretty cool, pretty sweet. Um, yeah. Just kind of noticed, hey, like, what's what's going on, guys? Um, everything okay? <laughs> right, um, right. And uh, so, yeah, so it's, it's it's nice to hear from from folks. Exactly. So today, um, in our in order to kind of break off some of the rust, we're going to talk about something that we're you know kind of working on in our real lives. We're going to be talking about massively scalable image hosting using S3 and CloudFront. So that's that's the kind of title of it, but. Um, you know, I thought about a way to think about this, Chris, and a way to think about MobyCast in general that we never have really put out into the world, but I think it's just really one of the things that, you know, it's like, I think people could relate to. It's just like the idea that you have something new, you're trying to build, you know, you got to go build this thing. You Maybe you're going to use some new piece of the cloud or, or you know, you've got a, some new feature that you've never built before. And it's just, whenever I've been in that situation, it's always been nice to be able to talk to somebody who's been there, done that. Just to kind of get a sense, well, what is this? Fee- what is this cloud service? How does it work? What what should I watch out for? Is there are there things operationally that that are gotchas? That kind of stuff. I always want to talk to somebody about that. And if I'm working by myself and doing something new, it can be hard to find those people that can just kind of give me that heads up. 
this is what you've got to pay attention to, or this is how I like to solve that type of problem. And that's what this is. This is what, like, that's what MobyCast I realized has kind of always been. And we've just never said that specifically. It's like having that conversation with that, that person who's been there, done that in order to save yourself some pain. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I mean, that would be a, a, you know, a wonderful, you know, value to, you know, deliver to, to folks. And I think that's kind of, yeah, like we've been doing that as we go along because uh, most of this stuff, if not all of it, like we've been there, done that. We have been in the trenches with the, with the sleeves rolled up. We've been bitten. And so, yeah, trying to pass on some of those, those pro tips some some of those gotchas of saying like, Hey, you know, you want to save yourself some time, consider this, or <laughs> know about this. Right. And, it, and on that note, it's like, man, I've, so in addition, we're going to talk about things like S3 and CloudFront today and as, as, a, as a ways of, of, of hosting these images in a massively scalable way. But, you know, also I've been working with some technologies like DynamoDB, and we've talked a lot about DynamoDB in the past at kind of like a high level. Um, and now I've really had the chance to roll up the sleeves and get into the guts of it. And we could have like 10 episodes <laughs> on MobyCast of just the tips and tricks and the gotchas of... Boy, I've I've unleashed a f- a flurry of curse words. I think <laughs> um, over 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 a few weeks while working with DynamoDB. Um, at the end, I think it's totally worth it. But but yeah, that's a whole other series. I think of just like some really practical, real world advice on um, and just lessons learned. Right, right. So in order to jump in, I think that um, you know the problem we're talking about today is just so so common. You've got you're building a web application. The web application is going to have you know probably user uploaded images. Users have images they need to you know store them for later and be able to use them within your web application or mobile application. So you're building an API that can manage these images, uh, and you may want to just be able to scale to huge numbers and be able to handle those images well. And I will tell you that you know from our own personal experience at Kelsis that. It's possible to do this wrong, and it's also it's also the case that if you do this wrong, um, you know, just recently we had an experience where we spent about three weeks of pretty much the entire team, all hands on deck, like redoing this a different way. And um, you know, the business that we were doing this for wasn't particularly thrilled about that. They would have preferred we did it not wrong the first way, the first time. <laughs> so I think that's worth it's worth talking about this a little bit. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, it's kind of funny because it's like, this is actually one of those, um, it's guaranteed, like if you take any one of the AWS certification exams, it actually probably doesn't even matter which one, right? Whether it's cloud practitioner, solution architect associate, or even solution architect pro, I think like this question, you're going to find it on there of like, you know, hey, you want to do like host images or upload images and like, how do you, how do you go do it? So it's, it's in kind of like in principle, in, in concept, the idea of like, okay, if I if I want to upload files and then I want to be able to retrieve those files, like absolutely, like S3 CloudFront is is the way to go. But then the, the devil is in the details, yes. right? Like, how do you actually do? Because there's a lot of design choices along the way. I mean, there's a lot of design choices <laughs> right. along the way. Because <laughs> with that client, both before and after changing out the engine, we were using S3 and CloudFront. It's not that we weren't using S3 and CloudFront. It's just the way we were doing it could have been better. Way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
there's, I mean, there's so many access points into it, mm-hmm. right? It's like you can use, there's a whole bunch of frameworks out there. It's like, how are you coming at it? You, you may be coming at it from serverless. So you might be using, you know, the serverless application model, SAM. You may be using the serverless framework. You may be using some of the um, mobile frameworks like Amplify or some of the mobile SDKs. You may be coming at it from like an actual web app and React code or, or, um, or just JavaScript code um, and coming at it through you know a different SDK, you can are you going to use a proxy server? Are you going straight um, to S3? Pre-signed requests? Are you going to do pre-signed URLs? Are you going to do pre-signed posts? I mean, there's just so many, and we'll get into that, right? Like we'll talk about like just what some of these things are, break it down a little bit, and um, kind of like highlight just these are the different choose your own adventure paths that you can go down, and why you might want to go one way versus the other. Right. So, did you want to talk any more about the problem space before we continue? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, again, just just in general, it's like this is a, a, a situation where um, need we, we want to support users being able to um, upload files onto our platform. And for the sake of this, we'll just call it, we'll, we'll just say that they're images. But like in general, like this could be like many different types of, of digital assets. So we need to be able to, to allow these uploads to, to happen. We may want to do some kind of post-processing on them. And then we want to be very efficient in being able to serve these up, right? Um, so, so it's both uh, we have this upload path, um, and we want to be smart and efficient with that. And then we really want to optimize the download, right, for retrieving this. So yep. someone may upload something, and then we may want to serve out just maybe it gets millions of views or something like that, right? So we need to be able to support that. And we want to be able to support a global user base, so all, all across the, the globe, all across the world. And, and obviously, we want to be cost-effective, right? We don't want this to cost a lot of money, or we want to be very smart about how we, how we design this from a, from a cost perspective. So that's the kind of general design space. Right, right. We also want to, I mean, just everything. We also want it to be supportable and maintainable. Um, you know, uh, I think back to the, the client that I've mentioned a couple times, before we swapped out the engine, we were definitely hearing things like, well, my uploads are taking forever. They're not working. And we were kind of like blind as to why. So we definitely don't want to end up blind at the end of our solution as to why things might not be working well. Right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, so all those wonderful things that, that come along with like the well-architected framework, right? Yes, so, yes. Um, you know, performance efficiency and operational excellence and security, all those things we want to take into account. And thankfully, like we, we, a lot of that stuff ends up becoming, um, coming, coming along for the ride for the most part. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I guess, I mean, the way to think of this is like, it's really like two main, two main flows here, right? There's the, the uploads and then we have the, the downloads. And so we can kind of like talk about those in two broad pieces and, and actually approach them separately. Um, cause they really, they are, two different access patterns and they're going to have two different um, ways of, of us of, of us um, designing a, a solution for it. So, you know, maybe just kind of let, let's start with the uploads first because that's where we have to start. We don't have anything to serve. We, we don't actually have files in our system. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of options here. I will say like in the past, maybe just, OK, back up a little bit. So we have some application 
service, right? So there's some API onto that. So you have your clients and they're making these these API calls to the back end, right, to implement your your application. And so um, you know, as part of that, you also now want to enable these these uploads and then also consequently be able to to read those files. So the, you know, the first design question that's going to come into to um to play here is like how do these uploads work? Do you upload through your backend API service or do you do something different? And there's there's kind of pros and cons to this. And in the past, I've I have done it where I'll basically use the application backend as a proxy. Um, so uploads actually go straight through the backend API service. And then the backend API service has the ability now to use things like S3 or some other storage capability for now handing off that 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 upload. So let me interrupt you there, Chris. You were being so careful not to say direct to us S3 because you were trying to keep the what you were talking about open to other possible you know file like file hosting systems. Mm-hmm. But but like just to make it clear what you were saying, you were talking about. Do you want the API request that the client makes to go to your server, your service, or do you want it to go to some other, you know, hosting service like S3 or some other file file hosting system? And I, like that distinction, do you proxy things? You know, eventually the the files are going to end up in the hosting system, but do you proxy them to that hosting hosting system through your service, or do you let the client talk directly to that hosting system? And I think you're saying, you know, back in the day, like three years ago. Um, you liked to have the control that that proxy gave you, right? Right. So, I mean, it's, you do, you know, you do have more control, right? Because it's like the upload is coming straight through you. So it's like if you can put in, you know, whatever um, metrics you want, um, uh, logging um, to kind of detect if there are problems on, on uploads, you have a bit more control maybe over how you implement um, security um, and access controls, as as your application sees them, yep. Um, yeah, you could even do things like stop an upload midstream if you realize there's like a security. I mean, who would ever? But like you could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so you so you have a lot more flexibility there. I mean, the downside is that at the end of the like, and this is the part that's kind of really like, which which really caused me to say on this go around to not do this is just it's this double this double bandwidth like it just it feels really silly so you're you're uploading so let's just say it's i mean for for example sake it's a 100 megabyte file and so that 100 megabytes all of it's being uploaded from the end user client to our application server and then our application server is then taking that 100 megabytes and now it's doing an upload it's basically a client that's now uploading to some storage service provider mm-hmm. right so it's it's double the bandwidth it's double the likelihood that something's going to fail sure right yeah. and it just it just not only that it's like you have to start thinking about like well what happens what do i do if i'm um in the middle of processing an upload right because i mean this could take a while depending on the bandwidth of your clients and what if i'm just Bouncing my service because I'm, I'm maybe I'm I, w- I want to deploy a new version of my of my backend application server. So now I have to start thinking about like draining connections and like what's the right timeout for that. 
probably, are you ever going to be able to pick the right magic number? No. So you're going to end up causing interruptions, right? You're going to have failed uploads. So someone's going to upload, you know, get 75% of the way, and then that server is going to get, you know, go away, right? Because you went and uploaded, you, you just deployed a new version of your service. Exactly. And now they have to start over, right? Right. And that is like, that's a pretty horrible experience. That is, that's like the, the good problem to have, right? Because that means people are uploading stuff to your service so much that there's never really a time where they're not. Mm-hmm. And actually that, that is kind of exactly what we were running into with this, with this other client of ours. It was like, oh my God, you know, the, the ECS is clobbering some containers for other reasons, but it's interrupting uploads. That's like the experience mm-hmm. people have is my upload doesn't work. Yep. Yeah. So for, for those, um, so for those reasons, it's like, okay, like what about like, let's just have the uploads go straight to the other server. And again, like this could be, there's many dropper in places, but like, let's just, we're going to keep it specific now. I'm going to stop talking in general. Like, so it's S3 mm-hmm. CloudFront. Like this is all AWS. So, so like, let's like let's upload directly to S3. And so now we don't have those issues with like double bandwidth. We don't have to worry about reboots or deploying our application software causing problems with uploads. We also get some really great benefits from a bandwidth acceleration standpoint by leveraging just the global network that AWS has and using edge locations so we can we can optimize those uploads for our clients using some of those technologies, so, and spe- specifically transfer acceleration with S3, right? So transfer acceleration is basically CloudFront in reverse, so it optimizes the uploads by letting folks access the edge locations. So they upload directly to the edge location, and then now the upload is on the AWS backbone, and it goes straight into the S3 service. Versus without transfer acceleration, your client is uploading direct to the um, S3 global service, which is going to have to now go all the way to one of the AZs that it needs to talk to, um, the, clo- the whatever AZ it's going to get routed to, as opposed to an edge location. Right. So you're so you're basically you're, you're saying the, yeah, you're basically saying either you can go over the regular internet to S3 locations, or you can go over the regular internet to the CloudFront locations, and that regular internet is going to be shorter to the CloudFront location. And then once you're inside CloudFront, you're on the super highway to AWS. Mm-hmm. The fewer amount of hops you spend on the public internet, um, and the more hops you have on the private AWS backbone, the faster everything's going to be for you. Right, on. right? So, so that's what, and it's really like something like transfer acceleration. It's just, it's literally one of those things that <laughs> I'm it's just so laughing. easy to enable. <laughs> I'm laughing because here at the Christensen household, we call the public internet, the regular internet. <laughs> the regular internet. Yes. <laughs> okay. We, we well, how about we call the, um, the 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 special internet? Right. Right. Like that, Just know. a little too casual with my technical terms, sure. I guess. Yeah. There you go. Um, yeah. So, I mean, so and transfer acceleration is like one of those things where it's like it is so easy to use. You literally, it's just a checkbox. Um, it's a different endpoint, so. You know that that's really the only difference. So it's like in your application, you just have to say like instead of instead of sending the request to this particular URL, it goes to this different URL, um, and that's like the only change you have to really make. And it's really cost effective. The last time I looked up the pricing on this, it was um, 
something on the range of four cents per gig um, of data being transferred. So pretty, pretty cost effective, right? That is pretty uh, good, but like I was like, Ooh, actually, that can add up. It, it really could if you have a pretty busy yeah, service. Uh, well, I mean, so, you know, that's what? That's um, uh, physically a buck per, per movie. It's a dollar. It's a dollar for every 25 gigs. Yeah. Right? And I guess 25 gigs is, <laughs> is like, a vi- you know, fairly large video game, not just a movie. A movie is like, what, five gigs? So a dollar every five movies that you upload, like like full length yeah. fe- feature length movies. Yeah, and remember we're we're uploading images, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. Um, yeah. not movies right. here, right. right? So your your typical image is going to be something more like um, five megabytes in size, right? Um, so that's a lot of images. Yep, yep, it is per do- per dollar, right? So, but again, it's something that you know you can you can opt to use or not. It's it's again so easy to um, you can even have different classes of users. So right. maybe you have premium users and you they get to use transfer acceleration, <laughs> and then your your free users don't. Cool, right? yeah. like it's it'd be really easy to segment that. Right, and I was also going to say your competitor is going to use it. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here we are at our mid-roll. I usually ask you to do something for us. Leave five stars or tell your friends or whatever. Not today. Oh my gosh, I'm getting interrupted by an airplane. Can you hear that? Well, anyway, I just wanted to say thank you. Thanks for listening. Um, I know you could spend your time listening to another show or doing something else, uh, but here you are listening to us. That's so nice. So just thank you so much and enjoy the rest of the show. All right. There's such a good reason, you know, such good reasons for using S3 direct uploads. But there's also a couple of gotchas. Uh, like one of the big things that that I introduced to my team um, that was working on this at the last minute, I was, they were they were like, yeah, we're ready to go. We're going to um, we're going to push this to the app store, you know, this coming week and it's going to be great. And I was like, well, you know, have you thought about what might happen if users are complaining that uploads aren't working? Like, do we have a way of knowing, like, since we're sending them directly to S3, how are we going to even know that that's taking place? How are we going to support this? And it caused us to kind of have to go build some stuff to make sure that it's, it was supportable. Um, were you going to talk about that at all? So, I mean, that that's... One of the considerations that comes into play here is like if you're not going to go through a proxy server and instead it's going to be uploaded direct to S3, there needs to be some coordination now, right? Like there's the very loosely coupled architecture, um, which is good in general, but like as far as like coordination goes, it's like we we got to make some some decisions here on on how this is going to work. Um, so, you know, for for this particular case, kind of the approach that I that I took was, okay, let's. We're going to um, basically have the clients, they're going to be uploading direct to S3. That is going to be typically through like a web client, so through a, through a browser-based app, so JavaScript code that, that, that we have, um, and we have whatever visibility we want to put into to there. So, so that is, so we will have visibility into like if these uploads are failing to, to, to actually take place on S3 via client side code, right? Whether we use like our own um, code to trap errors or whether we use something like Rollbar or, you know, one of the other frameworks that are out there. 
we'll have all the visit. We'll have whatever visibility that we have. Um, we need in order to see like what errors are happening or failures that are happening. And don't really expect too much in the way of, of problems there, right? If there are problems uploading, it's probably just because the client has just a really bad internet connection. Mm-hmm. It's probably not because S3 is having problems, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Like that's, so, so it should be pretty rare, but again, that's, it's pretty simple, like straightforward. We own the code on that's, that's, that's running this. Um, so we can put whatever hooks we want into to, to capture that telemetry and then, and then send it back to our service. But it is a, you know, separate than the back. This is purely client side code, right? Mm-hmm. It's not part of our, our backend side code doesn't have access to that. So that's one aspect of, of it. And so then once that upload is complete, then the client is going to have to make a, a subsequent request to tell the back end, like, hey, by the way, I've uploaded something. I, I'm just letting you know about it, and now go do your thing with it. That's one way of handling it. Um, another way of handling it would be like you can just use completely, um, you know, event driven, an event driven style, um, so that when uploads happen, um, you know, it kicks off an event. So like an S3 event, um, which goes to an SNS topic, and then that ends up gets you know, maybe fan out or it gets, it gets sent to an SQSQ or something like that or a Lambda function. Um, and then you can do that, the, the follow-up now, right? Like, okay, this file's been uploaded. Now I need to go and, and, and do something with it. Now, when you do that, you now have to kind of, if, if you do it like that purely kind of event-driven way, you have to be able to, to correlate like, okay, where did, where did this upload come from? Um, so you're going to have to have stuff that's part of that request to key off of, and it may very well be the key, right? So like getting into, maybe we should dive in a little bit, like what's the, the techniques for doing these uploads? Um, yeah. Cause that will help out a little bit with this. Yeah. So, so, so we want to upload directly to S3, um, but you know, by default S3 buckets, um, and objects are private, which is a good thing. And we want to keep it that way, mm-hmm. right? Cause you don't want anyone just be able to upload to your buckets, public bucket, um, that would not be good. So we need to have some way of, you know, limiting the ability and that only people that we really want to be able to have access to upload to the buckets can, you know, it's not really viable for us to have, um, issue AWS security credentials for every one of our uploaders. We could have millions of, of users, right? Um, and so we don't want to um, have credentials for every single one of those users with S3 itself, right? Right. But instead, what we can do is we can we can um, use a technique that's um, of pre-signing request. And so, really, what this is is that this is a way of saying there's kind of one role, one user that has access to do these, um, either create operations or retrieve. Actually, you can um, do gets as well. And using those credentials, it will generate a assigned request that can now be used by anyone. So there's a little bit of a, you know, um, maybe a window there issue there where it's like, okay, if you give this out now, that could be shared. They could share it with anyone else, right? So you know, theoretically, like if someone wanted to, like if you if they got a pre-signed request to do an upload to a bucket, and you think you're allowing just one upload, they could post it somewhere, um, and now a million people upload to that bucket, right? And you end up 
having a whole bunch of data that you have to pay for that you didn't like, um, didn't want. But you can limit that blast radius too, right? With with these with these pre-send requests to put limitations on them and to you can also lock things down and, and whatnot. So it's not really something to be too terribly concerned right, with. Right. And I think a technique you used is sort of like an upload only bucket, like a drop a dropbox, not not the company dropbox, but the concept of a dropbox kind of a thing where you don't people don't get to read out of the bucket, they can only write to it. Yeah, you you I mean and you can do do that. I guess my point being is like, well, these pre-signed requests, they are. It's literally just um, for the most part, they're just a URL, mm-hmm. and anybody um, that has it can use it. The credentials are in that URL, right? So it's like if so, you can share that with anyone. Mm-hmm. So it's like I could like give this out to a million of my closest friends, and we could all go and do an upload using that URL, and. If I didn't do anything else, like nothing would stop that from happening. So right. I, I thought I was issuing a request for just like this one upload, right. but it could theoretically be millions of uploads. Right. And I was just pointing out that by limiting it to uploads only, um, sure they can do a denial of service attack kind of thing against you where there's like all these uploads, but like that's not that damaging compared to, you know, being able to read other people's data. Like there's not sensitive data that's getting out into the wild. By having done this, yeah, from from a security standpoint, um, the, you know the liability there is less. But from a cost standpoint, sure, yeah, sure, it could be like, very high. You don't want that, yeah. right? So yeah, so, um, but anyway, I mean, not really. Um, again, you can you can put limitations on this and and um, policies so that like don't have to 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 worry about this, or you can just address it right that way. But just I just kind of highlighting the point, like these pre-signed requests, they are. Basically, you're handing them out to now unauthenticated users. Mm-hmm. It's it's for them to use, and um, there's two types. So we have there's pre-signed URLs, um, and these are it literally it is just a URL, and that that one URL has everything encoded in into it with query string parameters of the credentials, the temporary credentials that it needs to have. Um, it has basically an indication of what bucket and what object, what key is is being accessed. It's all in that one URL string. Um, and so that's a pre-signed URL. So pretty flexible, pretty easy to use, but also it's a little bit limited um, because you have to specify exactly the bucket and the key. And you can do either a get or a put um, operation on that. So that's pre-signed URLs. And you can also, for all these, you can set an expiration, right? Which is what we want to do as well. You want to have a really limited time win- window that these, these pre-signed requests are, are, are um, available to be used. You're shrinking that, again, that like that security, that blast radius um, by having a sh- as, as, as short of a time interval as you can have um, without kind of causing problems from a, from a user experience standpoint. So if it's... You know, a client is requesting to to do an upload. Um, like, you know, maybe set an expiration of definitely an hour, um, and maybe even less than that. Right? There's no reason to say like this is valid for seven days. Um, that's that would be way too long. There's there's no reason why that client would would need to have that that you that pre-send request valid for for a week. So. Um, so we can set the expiration on it. So that that's pre-signed URLs, and then the other um, technique is a is is a pre-signed post. And so with post, you have a lot more flexibility with these. They're they're more complicated to use. They're more complicated to set up, but 
you have much more flexibility in the what um, uh, you don't have to you don't have to it's not encoded for a particular key so if you want to let the client specify what key to be uploaded you can do that if you want to allow even like the bucket um, to be specified there's just much more flexibility there and most importantly um, this works with browser-based uploads with just regular form post. So it's it it really is a is a nice way of if you have web clients um, and you have just a regular form-based upload process, this is gonna work for you. Um, and you definitely want to choose this over a pre-signed URL, which with a pre-signed URL you would it would require some some heavy lifting in the client, um, some JavaScript code to package everything up and it would be a lot more manual of a process. There's a whole other way to do this too and it doesn't use pre-signed URLs or pre-signed posts but it does secure the upload. Here we go. Can you guess what it is, Chris? (laughs) It's Cognito. Yes. And it's specifically with the AWS Amplify framework. It has this concept of unauthenticated users which are users that are they're they're using your app but they're not they don't have like a an actual username incognito they don't have a real user but the amplify framework will create temporary credentials temporary iam credentials for that for those unauthenticated users and manage those in the background kind of behind the scenes and use those for authentication against AWS services and you can specify the unauthenticated role and the policy for that unauthenticated role and then attach that role to the various different resources in AWS and that will let you upload in a secure way to a bucket um, without messing around with pre-signed URLs or or anything. The only thing is what we learned is that you have to (laughs) since there's absolutely no need to even tell your service that you're about to upload something to S3. Uh, that's the whole thing where it's like, you probably better tell your service that you're about to upload something to S3. Otherwise, like people are uploading stuff to S3 and you have, you're just none the wiser. You have no idea that it's even happening. So you, you need to at least like create a logging endpoint in your service to sort of tell your service, hey, this is actually about to happen so that you can troubleshoot it if something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, the, kind of the interesting thing about that is that what you just described in the way um, using Cognito with unauthenticated users, it's basically the exact same thing as what's happening with these pre-signed URLs. Mm-hmm. So in both cases, you have some some specified role that has access to the the resource, and it's generating temporary credentials for someone else to use on its behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just like, how are you doing? Are you doing it through pre-signed request or are you doing it through Cognito? The downside with Cognito, of course, is like you have to set up Cognito, right? right? And, yeah. and and to, to use it, and which is can be, you know, quite um, quite the chore. And it, it helps out with things like Amplify and whatnot. So it's it's just whatever works best for your for your particular scenario. If you're if you have an actual mobile app and you do need to have some authentication and authorization for your users, then you're almost assuredly using Cognito if you're on AWS to begin with, right? So you're probably going to be looking at that. Yeah, I mean, I will say, like, just sort of as an aside, like you can do Cognito and you can do this without having without managing your users in Cognito, which is what we do for this particular client. So it was like. Mm-hmm. 
our users are managed in our own separate user database. Uh, we have our own way of, of signing them up and tracking them, and it, it doesn't use Cognito at all. But just by virtue of the fact that you can just throw an Amplify library into anything and then just start using it. Specifically, if you want Amplify to do stuff for unauthenticated users. If we wanted to use uh, Cognito's authenticated user features, we would totally have to manage our users with that. Mm-hmm. But the unauthenticated stuff, it's like, oh, do whatever you want. Um, and this will just at least lock it down so that you know not anybody on the internet can start uploading stuff to our wide open to the world S3 bucket. It's pr- it was, I like, mm-hmm. I, I'm bringing this up because it was sort of fascinating. It was a little bit different than the way that you're suggesting this, is, this happens. And I had to sit with it for a while to even convince myself that it was okay. And then after a while, I was like, yeah, I think this actually is, is just fine. This is sort mm-hmm. of like a, backdoor way of using Cognito without really using it for anything else in our application but this. Yeah, I mean, so this is, I mean, here, this is another exam question, right? The classic exam question. So for the certification exams, so with Cognito, it's it's got the user pools and identity pools. Mm-hmm. And so the user pools is when you manage your set of users and that's where um, authentication is happening. And then identity pools is where after you auth- authenticated one of these users, through that pool, the identity pool is used to now exchange those the, that authentication for authorization with that AWS credentials as a token. Yes. And so what Cognito lets you do is it says you don't have to have a user pool. You can just have the identity pool. Mm-hmm. And so it's just so authentication is skipped. There's no authentication happening. Instead, it's just authorization step. And so it's just saying, okay, for these people that are coming in without any authentication, this is how I'm gonna map them and give them this. This using STS, the secure token service, give them temporary credentials to go do this on on behalf of this role. Yeah, super, super cool. Super neat. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So so those are the two types of, of, of pre-signed requests. And then also we've, we've now digressed and you could use Cognito as well for kind of um, doing the same thing. So now we have a secure way for, for uploading, we've talked about where we can go straight to, to S3. We can have things like transfer acceleration enabled on that. And so for, for, like for me, in my particular scenario, like the workflow kind of looks like my first, the client will make a request to the, to the application backend and hey, I want to do an upload. So what that does is that's when the pre-send request is now created by the backend service to say, okay, here's, you know, it knows where it wants uploads to go. Um, it gets to decide whether or not like the client can specify the key name or if it's going to be um, the server decides what it is. It's going to generate that pre-send request and send it back to the client. Now, once that happens, the client's going to um, now make the upload and it'll have all the information there in that pre-signed request to do the upload. And because we're using pre-signed post, basically it just comes back as a, a collection of fields that can be added to the form in the web browser. And now you can just have the, just again, a standard form in a, in a web browser, allow a file to be attached to that. And then when the post happens, it's now going against S3. Um, and it has all the proper, uh, the proper, proper, the proper credentials, the, all the, all, all the, the proper credentials and, and the information that it needs in order for that to be stored. Now, once that upload is complete, then you have to decide like, okay, like, how do we want to go from here? We can either have like, again, that, that can kick off an event, an S3 event, like, oh, file's been uploaded, go do something to it. Or, 
could have the client just make another API call now to say, oh, hey, by the way, I've, I've uploaded this thing. Here's where I uploaded it to. Here's the name. And I want you to now do something with this, or I now want you to mark this as mine um, type thing. Mm-hmm. And so there's those, those two paths now for now associating that upload with the particular user of the app. Right. And there's something really important here, and, and we struggled a little bit with this too, which is that in the earlier way, when you were just proxying everything through your service, um, the client's job was much easier. And it could basically uh, start sending you a file and then show, show the user a little progress indicator, you know, 20%, 30%. Now you're done. Um, and it really would be just at the beginning of the API request and then the end. It knows it's done. But now you have potentially three API requests, two of them to your service and one of them to S3, that are all one atomic action. So three different API requests is to the user just doing one thing. The user doesn't think they're doing three things. Um, so it's really important. I'm going to say it in a kind of a kind way. Like it's really important to help your developers kind of condense this into one thing for users. Like I think there's a, sort of a tendency for for people to use one spinny and then use a progress indicator and then another spinny. Like that's what happened with us. Is where it was like, oh, there's like three spinnies here, and we needed to to package it all into one single you know, user-facing progress indicators so that it didn't look like there were three different things happening to the users. Absolutely. So this should be, from a from a user standpoint, it should look like a transaction. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's an atomic unit. Um, ab- yeah, 100% agreed. Just as we finished that last little bit, uh, my wife texted me and she said that she had to go and I was in charge of the kids. And so I was like, oh, Chris, we'll finish later today. And he was like, no, I got to take my kid to college later today to help him move from one dorm to another. So uh, we're going to kind of leave you hanging this week and finish this conversation next week. I'm sorry for the abrupt ending. We do like to keep it a little cleaner than this, but today we're playing fast and loose with MobyCast. So, uh, yeah, just this is the end. And I just want to say thank you to Stevie, our voiceover actor. And I want to say thank you to Roy, our audio editor and producer. And thanks again to Chris. And thanks to you for listening. Talk to you next week. <laughs>